If you will then, please turn in your Bibles to Jonah, the book of Jonah. One of the minor prophets over in the, the tail end of the Old Testament. In my Bible, it's on page 1,354, if that'll help. <laughs> We're going to be talking about an issue today that has been on the forefront for several weeks. You know, they've been passing lottery bills or gambling bills in the Senate for the state. And there's all kind of clauses and, and little parts of this thing to uh, help the schools and all this kind of thing. But at any rate, out of that news item that has been in the, in the news for several weeks, there has been a lot of conversations arose to me about the legitimacy or the morality of gambling. And I felt led that I should show you the only thing about gambling in the Bible. Or that could even be construed as stretching it to be gambling. There is a thing that has been an activity, if you will, that goes back to 800 years before Christ called the casting of lots. Okay. The casting of lots is a way of making a decision without making the decision yourself. It's kind of like drawing straws and who gets the short straw winds up and you don't have to be the, the scapegoat or whatever. It's a way of making a, coming to a decision without making one yourself. They have been using it since, like I said, 800 years before Christ. The Jews were very involved in it and it involved several white stones, little bitty stones, and one or more off-colored stones. And you take them and you shake them and you let them fall. And whatever the colored stone does or whatever helps you make a decision about what's in front of you. They've been doing it for years. Now, this is the forerunner of what is known today as dice. And we'll get into that too. But casting of lots was like shooting dice. You come up with an answer by what comes up on the roll of the dice, if you will. You know, Joshua said in verse 24, or chapter 24 of Joshua, you choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It said in Deuteronomy, God says, I put a choice in front of you, a curse and a blessing. You choose. So there's always been that choice for us. With every decision we have to make, we have got to come to terms with what we need to do 
in order to be what we want to be. Not many people know that God has been using this thing of casting lot among his people for as long as history records. God's always had a way to make available to us the knowledge of what we need to do about making a decision. He's always had several different ways that he had of showing us his will where we wouldn't have to make a decision without knowing what he thought about it. Casting lots is mentioned 24 times in Scripture. I didn't realize it was that much. But it was the originator of the dice that we throw now to come up with results. It was created in China and used there since 600 before Christ. They think that Marco Polo brought it to Europe in the 1400s when he went and explored China and brought back this thing that China used. It has been used to bring divine help into your decision-making process. It's always been considered an act of God, and you can find out what God's will is by using the casting of lots. Now in Jonah, which is one of the older books in the Bible, you know that God came to Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh, the biggest city in the world, and preach to them because of their evilness. And Jonah said, I'm not going to do it. And he went the other way. And Jonah was trying to run away from God because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to preach to him. And it says in chapter 1 of Jonah, in verse 3, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fare thereof and went down to it to go with them unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. Now there's a couple of things I want to make about, a comment about this. I've known some people who say, well, should we buy the new car or not? And it comes out and says, well, I'll tell you what, we'll go to the dealership on Monday, and if it's still there, we'll know it's God's will that we buy the car. Please do not use that. That is making a decision based on circumstances. And we all understand about circumstances. God wants us to make decisions that are wise regardless of the circumstances whether the car is there or not. And I've known a lot of people to get in trouble simply because they made a, a decision based on circumstances. When Jonah, who we know was sinning because he's running from God, he had a recommendation from God, a request from God, and he said, I'm not going to do it. He's sinning. He's trying to run away from God. And when he got to the place where there was no more way for him to run, at the water's edge, if you will, 
There was a boat. So that's what I'm saying. You can be known to be sinning, and Satan will see to it that you've still got a way to sin some more if you want to. So the fact that he ran as far as he could go to get away from God, and when he got there, there was a boat so he could go further. So that's no, like I said, circumstances is no way to use as a basis for a decision. Now there's something else. It says, so he paid the fare thereof. There's another lesson out of Jonah here that as God has shown me over the years. When you're going your own way, you pay the bill. <laughs> now when the whale got Jonah, when the big fish swallowed him, when it threw him back up on the beach, he was within walking distance of Nineveh. It didn't cost him anything to do it God's way. He had to pay the fare when he was doing it his way. But I want to show you something. He got on that boat, and he starts sailing, and all of a sudden the biggest storm you've ever seen in your life comes up, and here are sailors that are on boats and ships and water all the time, and they're strong men, and they're men with wisdom and whatever, and it scared all of them to death. They thought the, they started throwing things off the boat. Afraid the boat was going to sink and they were all going to drown. So the captain of the boat went around to everybody on the boat. And he said, each one of you call upon your God to find out why we're in the middle of the storm. People in those days associated trouble a lot closer with Satanism and going crossways with God than we believe now. But when it came to it, And they said, verse 7, And they said, Everyone to his fellow come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Now there's an interesting thing here. Those people in that day trusted the lots to tell them the truth. Because all the people on the boat believed that it was Jonah because the lot fell on Jonah, right? So apparently in that day if they cast lots to find out what God's will was about a matter, they believed it and they went ahead and acted on what came up with the casting of the lots. Strong men, men who'd been around, they believed it and they believed that God was behind it. So the thing was, who on the boat knew that, Joph, jo, uh, that Jonah was sinning? It says in another place that he had told a couple of other guys that he was on the outs with God and was running from God. So they knew it at least, but all the other sailors believed it too. Some people through history have sought a higher will than their own. It's a natural way for us sometimes when we get in a jam to look up to God who we never spend any time with or whatever if we're not a born-again believer, but we call out to God when we get in a jam. And there's always been people who sought more than their own wisdom to make a decision.
So the conclusion with that part of this is to do the right thing even though the boat's there. If he had done the right thing, he would have turned around and not got on the boat. But that wasn't where Jonah was right then. But my point is, here it is, 800 years before Christ, and they're using the casting of lots to make decisions, thinking that God is a part of that decision of what the casting of lots will determine. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 has an interesting verse in there. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. All over the book of Proverbs, it says, Speak not in the ears of a fool, because he'll laugh at the wisdom of your word. Fools are not going to listen to you anyhow when you tell them wisdom. But the casting of lots is the only thing I know of in the Bible that could be construed as anything to do with gambling. The only game of chance as far as activity is in the Bible. In Joshua chapter 18, here we've got a situation where the Hebrew children have come out of the desert. Moses is dead. Joshua is leading. He's brought them into the promised land. And God says to Moses that each family is going to get a plot of land. How are they going to divide it up? It says in Joshua chapter 18 and verse 10, And Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh. How did they divide up the land that God was giving the Israelites? By casting lots. Those families got that portion of the promised land by casting lots. Each tribe, the land was divided for each tribe except for Levi because they got the church. They didn't have any land. I'd like to show you something else. Turn, if you will, please, to John. The book of John, verse 19, or chapter 19, and verse 23. This is a verse, two verses, about the garments of Jesus being gambled off. Most of you probably have heard that. I've had I don't know how many sermons preached to me over the last 79 years about, and I've seen preachers change their voice, and they would talk about those soldiers were so evil that they gambled, even gambled for the clothes of Jesus. Well, there's an explanation. There really is. Number one, it was prophesied in Psalms that they would gamble for the clothes of Jesus when he was killed hundreds of years later. So it brought the, the fact that they did brought prophecy about. But look at John chapter 19 and verse 23. Now Jesus has died 
and there's his clothes. He died on the cross naked, I understand. That was part of the punishment. Verse 23 says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart. They divided up Jesus' clothes among the four soldiers that were there at the cross. But then they got to his coat. And also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They tell me that in those days that some of the weavers would weave the, 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 the garment that went on the outside, the coat, if you will, started to top and weave it like a pipe, like a tube, and it didn't have a seam in it. And you pulled it over your head, and some of them had a, a hood also. But this garment, when they got to it, it was a valuable piece of clothing because it, someone had gone to the trouble to weave it in a continuous weave where there was no seams in it whatsoever. The soldiers decided that they would ruin a valuable garment by dividing it up into four pieces. And so for that, verse 24, they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it or tear it, but cast lots for it whose it shall be. Then in parenthesis that the scripture might be fulfilled which saith, they parted my raiment among them and for my vesture they did cast lots. Those things therefore the soldiers did. It would seem to me to be the smart thing to do if you had a piece of garment that was so valuable that it has been taken time to weave the whole garment as one, and rather than cut it up, tear it up where it would probably come unraveled and not be worth anything to any one of them, they decided to cast lots for Jesus' coat because it would destroy it to separate it. That doesn't say anything about the soldiers being evil. Sound to me like they were using wisdom and casting lots for who's going to wind up with the coat rather than tearing it up to divide it in four pieces. So you see, from the time that Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land, from that time until after Jesus' death, people were using the casting of lots to make decisions thinking that God would be behind it, that it would be God's decision if they used the casting of lots. Now let's turn over a few pages to the right to Acts chapter 1. Now we've got a situation in Acts chapter 1. Jesus called and ordained 12 apostles, disciples, right? One of them's gone. Because of sin, Judas has brought death on himself, killed himself. 
So they feel the need, the other 11 apostles feel the need to replace Judas on the, 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 the disciples, the group of 12 men who followed Jesus. In chapter 1 and verse 23, it says, well, let's say 22, beginning from the baptism of John under the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. In order to be in the group of disciples, they had to ordain a man for that or put their hands on him, make some kind of significant public gesture that he had been chosen for this position. And they appointed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. They came up with two names to replace Judas on the group of disciples. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen the disciples cast lots to decide who would be the, 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 the have Judas's job on the group of 12 disciples because they asking God to make the decision. That he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. He's dead. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. The disciples of Jesus cast lots, shot dice, drew high card, whatever you want to call it, to find out God's will and who would replace Judas, the dead disciple. And they're giving God the credit for knowing this. Now I want to read you something else. Listen to this. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap but the whole disposing of the thereof is of the Lord. Wait a minute now. <laughs> that says that every time the lot is cast, you're, you're using a game of chance to try to figure out what God's will is that God's in control of. Every time the dice are rolled, God's in control of what comes up. That's what they said. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. The question that's left with me is what's God's attitude about gambling? We have seen the only gambling activity that is anywhere in the Bible has always been given credit to the Lord to see what comes up. 
They're using a gambling game, if you will, to find out God's will for their lives. Satan has taken this tool of God to make us aware of what his will might be in a matter and try to make it a sinful thing. Now let me say this. Am I advocating as a preacher that all y'all go out and gamble? No, I'm not. I've never gambled myself because I feel it's wrong. If you feel it's wrong, that's what you ought to do too. The problem I have with all this attitude from the churches about gambling. Because the churches are the ones that are opposing gambling in this state. And they say that they don't want it in the state because God doesn't want it in the state. The only thing I'm saying is there's no record I can find in the Bible that God has said anything against gambling. Now, is it wrong? Well, Paul says in the 14th chapter of Romans that I am convinced that nothing is unclean in and of itself. I have seen people who would not allow a deck of cards in their house. They wouldn't want dice anywhere around them because they're an unclean thing because people's concept is that gambling is against God. This form of gambling, I think I've proved, that's certainly not against God. Now, some forms of gambling may be against God. He never makes a comment on it. There is not one word about it in the whole book. So what I'm saying is, this judgment should be used just like the judgment, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We ought to be able to make decisions based on our own wisdom and our message from God rather than anything else that has anything to do with circumstances. Now here is another thing that is so very interesting to me, and I'm, I'm, guy, I'm a guy that digs in the book now. I mean, I get down there and I look at everything. Since the formation of the church 52, three days after Jesus was resurrected at Pentecost when Peter preached and 3,000 people were saved. Since that moment, nothing in Scripture has ever been mentioned about the casting of lots again. Because you see, the God, God chose to give each one of us that are being saved, that are believing on the death of Jesus Christ for our salvation. He chose to put the Holy Spirit in us. Why do we not use the casting of lots now? If by any stretch of imagination to use a gambling game to make our decisions, it's because I believe God intends for us to ask the Holy Spirit what we're supposed to do. I've preached it here since I've been a preacher and I believe it is a thing for Christians to do is to ask God through the working of the Holy Spirit what should I do in this matter and God will return an answer. I believe that. He always has with me. But you see, so many things 
after the Reformation in the late in the 1600s, where the, a lot of the churches were changed, a lot of things that had been godly all those years suddenly became ungodly. And like we said about Cahaba Valley, they started kicking people out of the church because they saw them drinking a beer and saw them use, heard them use a cuss word in public. Everything changed. And now gambling, this form of gambling, is a nasty thing. Does gambling hurt? Oh, yes. You know it does. I know it does. I can't stand to lose is the reason I don't gamble. My daddy didn't either. I was taught not to. But saying that God says it's no good is telling a tale. He didn't say that. Because he even used a form of it himself to help people make a decision. You remember, some of you may remember, that song in the late 40s, if you were around in the late 40s after World War II, there was a song written, a country music song called A Deck of Cards. Anybody ever heard it? There was a guy after the war was over, showed up back home from the war, and he came to a little small country church, and he brought a deck of cards with him, and he's sitting back there in the pew running through the deck of cards. And the preacher stopped preaching in the song and went back there, and the church was going to try to throw him out because he had brought a deck of cards to church. And the song is about him taking that deck of cards. He said, on the battlefield, I didn't have a Bible. And I took this deck of cards, and it became my Bible. And the ace, the one, means there's only one true God. The three became the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to me. And as I go through these cards, I remember things I was taught as a child out of my Bible. So the reason I'm sitting here with a deck of cards in church is because while I was on the battlefield, they became my Bible. So you see, it was on people's minds then. There were people who looked down at everything. When some things God's people used to remind them of who God was. And the song has to do with every 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 book, every number, every suit, whatever, reminds him of something that he learned as a child from the Bible. I had a preacher one time get in a big argument with me about gambling. And I asked him the question. I said, okay. I can't find anything against it in my Bible, but you're preaching it. Why would you preach it? He said, because it's wrong. I said, okay, then tell me why it's wrong. He says, well, a bunch of people are putting money in and only one gets it out. Well, I happened to know the man had been an insurance salesman before we were called to preach. I said, kind of like the insurance business. He said, how do you make that relationship? I said, isn't that the way the insurance works? Everybody puts their money in and the first one has an accident and gets it out? How can that be the thing that's wrong 
for saying that something is wrong simply because of that. I said, shouldn't we use God's word as to what's right and what's wrong? Because like I've said here before, everybody's got a right and a wrong, and they're all different. And the only standard we could use would be what God said about it. I think it's another encouragement for me to look at things in a positive sense rather than trying to find something negative about everything. That we have this list of things that are no-nos. And the church has always been famous for this, looking down at other people, running other people down, talking about other people for getting involved with things that from what I can find, God never said was wrong. Now, do some folks misuse it? Yes, they do. Is there something wrong with it? Yes, there is. But it's not one of the things that God says is bad. Because a lot of people can have a lot of recreation moments and not get addicted, not starve their kids or cheat the family or anything else by just enjoying a gambling game. I've played rook with cards. My children learned to count playing solitaire with a deck of cards. I remember one time something was said about my youngest, and she was little bitty, and they asked her, she said, well, she can count. I said, you can count? Oh, yes. Well, let me hear you count. She said, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, jack, queen, king. And that turned out to be a pretty big joke at the time. But you see, that's the thing that we have a tendency to do, and it all stems, I think, from this. We think we are above other people and other activity. And we're not, people. We're not. You know, I've been thinking about this thing about peace and Jesus And a lot of times he took the problems away with his miracles. But a lot of times, folks, Jesus stood right there in the middle of problems and he had a peace about him. And the problems were still all around him. And that to me is word that you don't always have to get rid of the problem to have peace. You can have peace with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit and be right in the middle of the biggest mess you've ever seen. I told one of my daughters the other day something about it. I was told years ago that whenever there's a storm on the, in the life of a Christian, sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes he calms the sailor. The storm's still there. And I've thought about that a lot of times when trying to keep you cool in the middle of a mess and thinking, well, God calm me as a sailor. If you can't change the situation, please give me peace. And I pray for that today. But to me, it's an encouragement to see what God has done with this thing, whatever it is, all through the ages, and to come up with something that Satan might have very well used as a, a bad thing to try to get people from listening to God and get them separated 
from his work with his people. Another thing that church people say is bad that God doesn't make a comment on. Let's pray. Father, when Pilate asked Jesus, who are you? Jesus answered him in John 18, 37 and said, for this cause I came into the world that I might stand witness to the truth and the people of truth hear my voice. Lord, I would pray today that as Christians and in a way to honor what Jesus said, that we would attempt to seek the truth in every single thing we do and not be misled by people with their own agendas and see things for what they really are and not call something bad when it's not bad. Lord, teach us to live off of the truth of your word because you are truth. And Jesus was truth. And he said in John that the Holy Spirit was truth. Lord, teach us your truth that we may use that knowledge in our wisdom to make our decisions about what we're going to be involved in and what we're not. Lord, I thank you for being the most high and gracious God and giving Jesus, your Son, a name above all names. And to have all of that working for us if we're humble enough to seek your guidance. Forgive us for our sins, Lord. Help keep us straight in everything we have to decide. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.